On today's podcast, we run through the big news topics of the last two weeks, hear from writers, actors and producers at BBC Worldwide Showcase and hear about the content companies infiltrating Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. Welcome to the TBI podcast. As per always, I'm Jesse Whittock and I'm joined by Stuart Clark, TBI's editor. Uh, we've got a big show today full of interesting nuggets from the BBC Worldwide Showcase. Uh, we're going to be hearing from Stuart Thompson, who's the uh, editor of Digital TV Europe, our sister title. He's going to tell us about how mobile might be uh, attacking the world of content sometime soon. Uh, and uh, and then we're going to take you through the major news stories of the past 14 days since we last uh, saw you on this podcast. Um, so let's begin with the showcase in Liverpool, Stuart. You had a, a lovely couple of days up in the, uh, in the homeland of the Beatles, checking out the latest BBC fair. Tell us tell us about what was going yeah, on yeah that's right I headed I headed up there uh, it wasn't lovely weather wise it was like a force nine gale which forced all the buyers indoors uh, at least captive um, audience yeah it's fairly self-contained <laughs> anyway um <laughs> But yeah, I think they, they've really hit their stride in Liverpool. So it's a kind of there are sessions in the day. There's loads of talent milling around for the buyers to meet, and then in the eve, the first evening was a kind of you know big show and tell with Joanna Lumley, basically the Ab Fab crew kind of getting back together. And then the second day was very Did much. Did they about, go down well internally? Well, it's so it's sold very well. They're very right. recognisable, and I think that's I think that's probably the point because they haven't just sold a new show. They weren't there to promote something necessarily. They were no, there it's, just uh, because twenty five the... years of Ab Fab, isn't it? Exactly. That's, that, that was the anniversary. And for buyers of a certain age, it was nice that uh, Niall Rogers turned up to promote his new BBC Four three part series. But he did a set uh, with some uh, chic. Uh, sort of disco funk classics, which actually, to be fair, everyone was talking about uh, the, the next morning. So who, who were you talking to down there, Stuart? Because there was uh, obviously a lot of talent. The BBC has objectively been delivering some fantastic shows over the last year, despite all of the uh, economic pressures that, that are facing it. Um, so who, well, who was I chatting you to, up? Uh, I spoke in, on the drama side, I got to speak to local lad uh, Jimmy, Jimmy McGovern, who was in fine form, actually. He's got a new show called Broken with Sean Bean, where Sean Bean plays... Uh, a priest, a local priest, and kind of that's the the precinct, if you like, and all the problems that kind of come. You know, fairly gritty, fairly full on, fairly uh, Jimmy. Yeah, although you know he he was actually really really quite upbeat and positive about that, and I think part of it was because he got to shoot locally. He got to shoot in a place called Kirkdale, deprived area. He's really you know he really wants to kind of see investment go in. So you know it worked for him, and he said that he thinks it's Sean Bean's best ever work. You're not going to get Sean Bean and have him as, as a precinct, you know, he's got to be, he's the main man if we get Sean Bean, you know. So, so get, getting Sean Bean was a curse and a blessing. It was, I had to really get to work again. Um, but a blessing in that we, it, it's a much better drama series for it and it, I think it's the best thing he's ever done. I really do. I think he's magnificent in it. On the comedy side, uh, I got to meet Damon Beasley, who's the guy that uh, co-created The Inbetweeners, which is obviously a massive hit uh, in, in recent years. He's got a new show called White Gold with Ed Westwick, who's the guy from Gossip Girl. So he's kind of swapping Hollywood to play this uh, drug-taking, philandering, crazed salesman in 1980s Essex. So I got to ask Ed about how, how it was swapping uh, swapping the bright lights of you know the Sunset Strip for uh, 1980s Essex, and this is what he had to say. So tell, me, tell me about the role. He tell is, me about yeah, Vincent you know, Swan. So he is, um, he's, a, he's a salesman for Cache Windows, which is a double-glazing company. Um, and I mean, he's, he's an animal. I mean, he's, he's, he's really found his feet in terms of... Um, 
you know, selling. He can sell to anyone. He's a master at doing that. And, um, you know, I think he's, he, yeah, he's just found what he's good at and uh, he, he's really running with it. And I think it's a, you know, it, it, excuse me, sorry. He's a um, statement for the generation, maybe a statement for that era in terms of the ambition and going out and getting what you want. And, yeah, I mean, alpha male, definitely. Um, I know some of that gets him into a bit of trouble, but... Uh, is, is, he, is, he a, is he a sympathetic character? Do you kind of, do you actually, do you I, think the audience I, are going to think, I'd be rooting for this guy, thinking... Yeah, no, I think so. And I think one of the things that we discussed when we were doing it, doing it is, you know, you want him to be likeable. I mean, because he does get into some quite bad behaviour. Yeah. Um, and whilst you, you, you know, you kind of appreciate and uh, find some of the naughtiness funny, I mean, he definitely can step over the boundary at times. So you want you want to be able to like him still. So that was something that was kind of interesting to navigate whilst we were doing it. Ed has been moving in the direction of the slightly uh, odder characters. He had a, a pilot a couple of years back, um, which was where he played a psychopath uh, serial killer on the Sunset Strip. So I guess, you know, this is just uh, one, one step removed from that. Um, who, who else were you talking to down there, Stu? Slightly more serious than White Gold, which which actually it looks fantastic. Uh, I got to speak to uh, Misha Glennie, who wrote the book that is the basis for what is Muck Mafia, which is going to be a big big deal for BBC uh, later this year. Uh, big ticket drama and Hossein Amini, the Iranian uh, Anglo Iranian writer director behind Drive and other things, was there. And I got to speak to these these guys about how you take uh, a factual book a work you know a, that isn't it's not a work of fiction and you turn it into you know a multi-part drama series and the guys were telling me about the process and how they went about doing that i didn't write the book in order for it to become a drama series and uh, it's not structured like that it has uh, dramatic stories and uh, dramatic narratives dramatic characters in it who are you know are all real um but uh, really what my intention was, was when I wrote it was observing what was going on during the wars in Yugoslavia because Yugoslavia was absolutely central to the, to the growing globalization of organized crime was just to start mapping it and trying to understand why organized crime was globalizing so quickly and so effectively. And the best way to do that in order to get people, to, for people to be aware of the subject, was to do it by talking to the characters themselves, to organized criminals themselves, and get their, get their stories and let them, to an extent, tell their stories and let victims tell their stories, coppers, lawyers, all those people involved, bankers who were involved in it and that sort of thing. So that's, that's what I did. It was optioned by working title before it was actually it was actually published and uh, that sort of passed through several iterations. These things are usually quite heightened and, and you know they, they feel like they're in a movie land as opposed to the real world and, and, and that what was great about Misha's book was was the specificity the kind of tiny little details like you know that you just wouldn't imagine you know you couldn't really invent and, and, and so you know in the, I think my favourite adaptations are the ones where you're given wonderful, a wonderful world or a tone, and and then it sort of gives you freedom to invent a storyline within that. Um, 
so so that's how it worked in terms of the adaptation and, and it sort of feels oddly liberating because you're not you, you sort of feel it's so they're so different in a way but I think what we tried to do was be incredibly you know to take the tone in the world of Misha's book and, and, and not dramatised in, in a way that felt sort of went away from what, what, what the, the intentions were. Let's go from Liverpool to Barcelona. Our roving reporter, otherwise known as Stuart Thompson, editor of TBI's sister title, Digital TV Europe, was in the Catalan capital uh, earlier this week, Stuart? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you were there for the Mobile World Congress, which is a gigantic event that makes MIPTV and MIPCOM uh, seem like... Uh, fledgling tiny little things that fair to say yeah the mobile world congress is huge i think that's that's fair to say if if some of the stands alone are the size of small villages i think the huawei stand is probably one of the biggest and dwarfs anything you've ever seen at one of the relatively small but i'm no doubt perfectly formed tv 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 events is is it true Stuart? you need you need a special pass to get i have heard that i haven't actually i didn't actually have that pass so i didn't get onto the huawei stand (laughs) but i i do understand they have a they have a series of um tiers but what we could see what we could see this year Stuart, was that and i guess the reason you were there in fact is that it's, it's much more than just purely telcos talking to telcos. There's kind of a content and, and TV piece to it increasingly. Yeah, I mean, this year there was more content and talk about content than ever before. Last year there was a lot of talk about it, but relatively little in the way of high-profile speakers. But this year you had Reed Hastings showing up, you had uh, J.B. Perret, you had... Uh, from Discovery, from so Discovery, Discovery and Netflix. Yeah, and that you had uh, Mike Fries from Liberty Global, which spans the world of communications and content, and he was talking a little bit about content as well in his presentation. Well, can I just jump in and say Mike Fries uh, gave us probably our favourite statement from a CEO of anyone this year when he, he described content as, as Kong. <laughs> yes. Content is Kong, was yeah. Mike's, uh, yeah. Mike's opinion earlier this year. He was talking about similar kinds of things this time around? Not so much. I mean, he was talking about 5G. I mean, one of the, the big things about Mobile World Congress this year was content moving on to mobile devices, which is why all these guys were there. I mean, Reed Hastings showed up at, at uh, Mobile World Congress where he wouldn't necessarily show up at anything else. Sure. Mike Freeze is not going to Cable Congress, which is you know normally a very much a Liberty Global core event. Is that because they they want to cozy up to the telcos, or is it is it kind of is it a push or a pull, or do the telcos kind of want to be in the same room as them? What, what's what's going on? The mobile operators are very keen to uh, look at ways to. Uh, sort of push data usage. You want to push data usage, and video is key to that. Um, you know, mobile telecoms revenues are not partic- they're not increasing at the moment, but they need this additional video piece to to make things sort of more exciting for for users. And that's a big part of what the range of new services that they're talking about. Video already is there, and they want they want more video for the content companies. They see this as as very much a, a, a new market for them, a new expansion opportunity. Because Netflix has been bundled with certain mobile packages before, hasn't it? In in some places, it has, and uh, we've we've even seen more sort of uh, micro examples. So I was speaking to someone uh, in Berlin at the Berlin Film Festival, um, and who had just produced a show uh, for a telecoms provider in, in Holland, and the rationale that he was kind of portraying that had been portrayed onto him was that 
in the same way that you know pay TV broadcasters need exclusive content and SVOD services need exclusive content to stand out, that is increasingly being the case for these guys who are offering multiple services. They need video is actually something that they are now selling as a sort of marketing tool. And in fact, we can see the likes of you know Vivendi, Canal Plus are making a big play in terms of made-for-mobile content with their Studio Plus service. Yeah, in fact, Arnaud de Poufontaine, CEO of Vivendi, was a headline speaker at Mobile World Congress, and he was talking very much about exactly that. Uh, he introduced the idea of horizontal convergence. Buzz phrase, if we've ever heard it. It really is. You need to get this in your, your dictionary of upcoming buzz phrases, I think. He was talking about the past of Vivendi, where they tried to weld telecoms with content. And obviously, that went disastrously wrong back in the, the early noughties when uh, the whole thing fell apart. Famously. And, uh, Vivendi had to sell um, Universal to NBC for not very much money. So now it's all about horizontal convergence, which is bringing music. You've got um, video, Canal Plus. You've got music, which is Universal Studios. You've got um, games, which Vivendi has acquired Gameloft and it's trying to acquire, although it hasn't ma- quite managed it yet, another company called Ubisoft, which is a games uh, provider in France. And bring all these things together in a convergent play. And that, that's, well, that was the basic theme of his presentation. But also mobile is very key to that because mobile is a device for which you can consume all three of these types of media. And Studio Plus is an example of how Vivendi is approaching the mobile play. Studio Plus is about bringing short-form content that is specifically tailored for mobile and applying that uh, to uh, mobile operators who, who can then buy the package. And yeah, and they've, they've put a lot of money into the content that they're spending on Studio Plus. I think, if I'm correct, the number was about €20 million Euros that they were talking about last year when they announced the the uh, the service. Um, but the, the point is there is there's a lot of money going into the video, which is then supplying this kind of bigger picture, this bigger ecosystem, which seems to be developing. It's uh, media is getting massive. What, what, was the, what was the message from Netflix, Stuart? Because, of course, in terms of originating content out of Europe, they, they have been criticised. There's a lot coming out of the UK. But I just wonder, did they speak more widely than rather just addressing the kind of the, the telco issues? He did address the telco issues. I mean, the Netflix presentation was an interview on stage. It was a little bit of a missed opportunity. There, there wasn't much of substance there. He was able to just sort of field a series of fairly softball questions about how great Netflix's content was. He Fair did to say, say you, were, you were slightly underwhelmed by the whole thing. Yeah, the, the I mean, news I, story that you sent I, through was, uh, it was uh, yeah, it, it suggested that could have, the questioning could have been slightly harder. It could have been a little bit harder, I think. He wasn't really tackled on any of the, the main issues that you know, Netflix is facing and, and even on things like net neutrality, which is a big issue for Netflix at the moment. One thing he did say was that um, mobile, again, was a key uh, opportunity for a company like Netflix. I think that was one of the most interesting parts of his conversation. Um, He talked about how mobile operators could, for example, give free data to people if it was like, you know, low bandwidth data. And then Netflix could offer a slightly lower than the quality they normally offer version of their, their content that would target this market. And I think for Netflix, obviously, if you look at markets like Africa, uh, the Middle East markets where there isn't much internet connectivity, mobile is the key way to reach uh, Absolutely, and, and finding different ways yeah. to, to reach those audiences. And then, Stuart, do you think it will see this work the other way? So when 
uh, we go to Cannes for MIP TV or MIPCOM. Are we st- are we going to start to see an influx of people from you know the traditional MWC world coming over there? Do you think? Um, that remains to be seen. I think the two worlds still are slightly apart in terms of uh, you know their understanding of each other, but it definitely is. I think everybody has their eye on on what the what the operators are doing, and the operators have their eye on content companies. You have content companies sort of looking to form alliances with telecom operators more closely, and you have operators telecom companies looking to buy into content. At the moment, that's been more fixed-line operators, but definitely mobile operators are looking to get content on their networks. So you could well find that there are more mobile operators looking to address that. That was fantastic. Thank you for uh, for coming in, fresh off the plane almost. Well, not quite, but thanks for coming in and telling us about MWC. So thanks, Stuart Thompson. You're very welcome. Now, on to the news that matters to you lovely people out there. Uh, we've been looking at the biggest news stories on TBIVision.com over the last two weeks. Pulled out four of them, four big companies doing very exciting things, or are they? So ITV is number one. Uh, last week, uh, they acquired Tetra Media Studio Um the latest in a long line of acquisitions that they've been making. Uh, it's a French indie studio, mainly focused on drama. It does do some unscripted as well, but it, but it's fair to say it's uh, it, it, it's made its name in in scripted. Um, it does well, the show, which in the UK and the English speaking world is known as Spin. Um, and it was, you know, it's another big deal for ITV. What's what's your read, Stuart? It's more of the same in a sense, isn't it? ITV continues to sort of sell this growth story and. and- do that by buying independent production companies and adding to its stable. It's got a stack of stuff already in the US, now seeing you know things being added in Europe as well. And I think the interesting thing is that they're very clear, they're not shy about saying there's more of this to come. And I think that's clearly a message to investors and uh, about where, where, thing, where things are headed as well as the industry. They, uh, they posted revenues of just over £3 billion for the year. Uh, 1.4 billion of that came from the ITV studio side. So exactly what you're talking about. This is the production and distribution businesses that it owns, such as Taupa, which it, it singled out as saying it was the big, the best deal it's ever done. Uh, Left Field, although that hasn't performed so well this year, or ITV America, as it's now known, uh, and various other companies. The issue for ITV is that it's effectively now up for sale, isn't it? Uh, there's lots of US companies uh, that circling it, Liberty have continually been linked to some sort of deal for it. It's already the largest single shareholder in the business, um, and so the, the the question now is, particularly with stories circulating that Adam Crozier might be looking to step down. He's the CEO who's overseen this move away from a reliance on advertising revenues that they really, really were about a decade ago to a kind of more uh, diversified model now, which is delivering more than half of the revenues away from the TV spots, which is you know a very important thing for an international business like ITV. Another company that's uh, that's very much in the news, has been for a while and, and perhaps now for, for somewhat more positive reasons, is Viacom. Uh, that, you know, the US media giant that owns MTV, Nickelodeon and a stack of other channels. With Bob Backish, uh, the ex-international boss now at the helm, um, things are really changing, aren't they, Jesse? Because he came in, and I remember it was only a few weeks ago now that he came in and said that he needed to change a lot of the pieces there. And I think the expectation was that that would be, you know, something that took, you know, several months and played out over the year. 
But what we can see is that he's done a lot of this cleaning house already. Yeah, totally. I mean, he had, very quickly he said he was going to uh, basically put the six core brands that Viacom owns, which includes Nickelodeon, Comedy Central um, and, and a few others, at the core of the brands. And he's also going to establish a new channel uh, called the Paramount Network. They've obviously had the Paramount Channel in the past, but I think the difference is here is he's talking about this becoming like a big scripted channel in the US, something that is going to uh, fill its own place. I can imagine he's pro- they're probably looking at models like FX and, and popular cable channels like that, AMC, uh, trying to establish it as a you know a core destination. It's a very big deal because it's not really a period in which people launch linear channels and they're talking about launching, you know, one of the world's biggest media companies is talk- talking about launching a huge general entertainment network, which is kind of something you don't often, you don't often hear anymore. It's much about streaming and OTT and such like. So, the fact they've got the Paramount brand behind it is also interesting, and you know, can't wait to see how this this plays out. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting. Um, I, they've got a guy called Keith Cox, who is uh, a Viacom uh, longtime exec. Uh, he's going to be running programming development for them. Uh, there's there's certainly going to be a new Paramount chief coming in at the movie studio with uh, Brad Gray, Brad Gray yeah. uh, exiting um, quite soon. So you're going to see lots of new faces there. There's going to be lots of new ideas, and this. Only is only one part of what is actually a much wider uh, sweep of moves that Bob Backish has made. Um, there are new. There's a new president or general manager uh, at TV Land, a guy, another Viacom veteran guy called Frank Tankey. Uh, he's going to be running that network. Um, Kevin Kay, the Spike president has been given an, an expanded role. Um, and as a result of many of these changes, we're also seeing long-time Viacom execs uh, such as Sharon Levy and David Bernath uh, exiting the business. So what Bob has done very quickly, and I think it surprised both of us, certainly, is that he has moved extremely quickly to to kind of you know change the shop a little bit and and you know certainly from the uh, front of house it's starting to look quite different he clearly had a vision of what what needed to be done and uh, it's just getting it yeah, done yeah. it's interesting you mention brad gray leaving paramount because that means that that job is up for grabs currently uh, as is another big studio job in the u.s because we also need to find out who's going to be running sony moving yeah, forward yeah, as well abs- yeah, absolutely and there's you know there's a lot going on at sony um there are, I think, there are various. Uh, you know, there've been various power struggles there over the last few years, and um, the, the names like Peter Liguri, the the ex FX and, and Discovery exec, has been linked to running that studio. I think. I think you also cannot discount someone like Steve Mosco, who was very well thought of internally, really made the TV unit quite something. Um, knows the studio back to front, so you know another another name that would be among the among the sort. Of top contenders I think. Yeah and I think they want to get that sorted sooner rather than later because you know it's going to take certainly a few months to get that person installed a few months for them to sort their vision out unless they've got a sort of Bob Backish style model of of management and uh, and just get straight into it so you know it's going to take them at least a year really to to uh, establish the new order there so you'd imagine that one will come quite soon. And we touched upon Netflix earlier um, but what we also saw this week Jesse was that at at Mobile World Congress, they were really sending out a message about 
what they're doing in Europe, weren't they? And I think some of it probably was about positioning and, and messaging. Well, yeah, I mean, um, I'm going to have my, my little rant here. I, I, Netflix is quite a difficult topic for some of us trade hacks as they um, it's very difficult for us to get access to them, yet they are probably driving most of the uh, the interest in our business at the moment and, and services like them are as well. Uh, and they held an event just after Mobile World Congress, uh, which we were not invited to in Berlin, disappointingly. And um, Reed Hastings and Ted Sarandos were there. And basically the message was, this comes after a lot of criticism in Europe from regulators and from you know content producers that they don't invest enough in Europe. The message from Netflix was they have invested $1.75 billion in European programming, be that acquired, original, uh, or wh- however you take that, since to, uh, since they first invested. Um, so I'm, I think we're going back to sort of Lilyhammer uh, quite a few years ago now, five, six years yeah, ago now. Yeah, that was the first one. Um, which was an NRK uh, co-production. And, um, yeah, they, they, there's a clear message there that they're saying we are doing what we said we would. We are investing in Europe and, uh, and you know, and we're here to stay. So it, I, don't, I don't know what the, necessarily the, uh, the reaction's been to that, but it's another bold statement from Netflix. Characteristically so. And in terms of streaming and TV, we also saw YouTube make a, a fairly major play. They'd done kids stuff already with their kids app, but this was something over and above that. Yeah, so for a long while now, they've been... Uh, readying a sort of cable, OTT cable service um, that would allow you to watch a sort of slimmed down cable package. And this is if you're in the US where cable subscriptions are very expensive for uh, for a, a, a smaller price. And they announced uh, a service with all of the major channels, uh, most of the major cable channels for $35 a month, which is, you know, it's a considerable undercutting of some of its rivals. And at the same time, we also have to remember what Amazon is doing, not just with its prime SVOD service, but is doing in terms of its channels package, because that's growing. Amazon is adding its own branded channels. And the next step is to see that go uh, into international markets. And I was speaking to an analyst yesterday who was saying that they expect that to launch internationally fairly soon and probably in the markets that Amazon first moved into with Prime. So that would be Germany and then the UK and then, you know, elsewhere. But what we can see in terms of, you know, what used to just be called pay TV is there are there are kind of new people nipping at the heels of the skies and the canal pluses and, you know, all of the incumbents. Absolutely. And we've been reporting for a while now on how a lot of the the channel buyers don't necessarily want all of these all of these channels so you're not getting you know when you're doing your your carriage deal with your content supplier you're not saying i want your full bouquet of 15 channels you're saying i want you know your three or four core channels so this potentially plays right into the hands of something like youtube tv which is the whole usp is it's a pared down offer it's like we're not going to give you you know, velocity out of this discovery pack, we're going to give you the big channels, we're going to give you the big content. So it's kind of it's it's a play for those younger audiences who might be on the fence about going for pay TV, because it's, you know, not necessarily what how they view television, but also consume enough linear TV that they might think, you know, what $35, it's affordable, I can access it anywhere, pretty much. I can't remember how many devices you're allowed to access YouTube TV on, but it's it's a fair few. So, you know that you can see exactly where they're looking for in terms of uh, in terms of this proposition. 
So all change in some respects. But what I do know is that we're going to have to wrap up now because I have to go and uh, pack. I'm heading off to Jerusalem for NTV, which is a, a TV festival organised out there in association with Keshet, the broadcaster. And they've actually got a really solid lineup, fantastic lineup from kind of Hollywood to some of the local players to a lot of the Brits as well. Uh, so next time we speak, I will be reporting back uh, from in TV. Cool. Um, so in the meantime, check out tbivision.com as always. Uh, check out TBI magazine. Uh, we, as you will know, if you listen to the last podcast or if you don't, I'll tell you now, we have a digital screenings magazine from the UK events uh, that were running sort of last month. Uh, it's still interesting to hear about the new stuff from all the distributors in the UK. Uh, check out our Twitter feeds. Uh, we're on Facebook, LinkedIn, all of the usual places. So until next time, thank you and goodbye.